Good morning, everyone. Welcome to episode six of the Safe House podcast. We're excited that you joined us today. Uh, it is Wednesday, May 20th. Today, as we record, this will be live and ready to go on Monday. As always, we're excited for you to take a listen and get back to us and give us some feedback. With me in the studio is uh, my dad, as always, Pastor Bob Denon. Good morning. Good. How are you? Good morning. I'm good. Good. I understand when you came into the studio today that you gave us a quick heads up that you're expecting an urgent phone call. So if you have I to am. step out, that's why. And yeah, If you see me we'll just, gone, I'll take care of it, and then I'll be back. And then we'll finish. We'll pick right back up. So just in case. And then with us also, again, behind the cameras and the sound stuff, Brandon, good morning. Morning. How are you doing? I'm good, man. How are you? No, I'm hanging in there. Hanging know? in there? As good as I can be. Good. The weather's getting nicer now. It's starting to break to warmth consistently. It just sticks and it stays that way. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be nice. It would be nice. I cut my grass a couple of days ago and it's a mud pit. So, but it was that or a swamp. It was either long and a mud pit or short and a mud pit. So I cut my grass. Yeah. Mine has been needed to be cut for a while. I got cut yesterday and yeah. You can tell it hasn't been cut for a while. <laughs> we got a new dog, and I was walking through the yard to cut it, and I realized that I, two dogs develop a lot more waste than one dog. That's you. <laughs> uh, so anyway, last week we had talked about um, a couple of different... We kind of bounced around a little bit. We told another story um, kind of of the development of Safe House and some personal experiences, and then we got into the story of Joseph from the Bible, and the main theme last week was how adversity um, could actually be an opportunity. As a matter of fact, adversity is opportunity. It's not It's not whether or not it could be. Adversity is always opportunity. It's just whether or not we choose to see it as one or to take it uh, is completely up to us. And um, again, we're getting feedback from you guys, and we're excited for you to be uh, listening and watching. I ran into, let me give a shout out. I ran into, um, we mentioned them in episode two or three, I think, uh, Jimmy and Becky, I ran into him oh, at, the, at the gas station yesterday. Yeah. So we gave each other a little elbow bump, uh, and said hi. And he said that, you know, him and Becky have been listening to it and that they like it. And it was nice, nice to get that. Feedback. I got that feedback from and Emma. So, um, uh, if you want to read it. Oh yeah. She said on Facebook, love it to add some, um, when you guys are discussing the experience and whether it plays a role in our evaluation, that is so true, but don't we have to step into the experience before we can then evaluate it? That's the question she asked. The whole preparation thing gets in our way before we just step into, uh, and I have a really hard time with it. So it's good to hear you guys talking about making sure we are listening to God, because if not, we end up missing those opportunities to experience or oftentimes we ignore it and then have regrets. And that's something that we didn't talk about, but that's true because when you're faced with adversity and you're faced with a difficult experience, you one one of your first choices is whether or not to lean into it or to run away from it. Right. And sometimes you don't see the opportunity until you actually walk into the experience. I'm not so sure that I'm there as much today as I was years ago, but I had a tendency years ago to lean into it heavily. If it if we got if we got some, you know, slap back on on where we were going, I would lean into it a little more now. And it's probably an aged thing. Um, I don't know if it's wisdom. I don't know if it's lessons learned. But um, I think I look at things a little cautiously now. Yeah. One of the things I do now that I didn't do before because I understand it more is that I evaluate the cost right. uh, that I know will be there. Yeah. Um, and can I handle that cost Yeah. Um, now? Uh, where before um, it was like, let's go. You know, let's move forward and um, uh, 
I think the end results would have been the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but now, cautiously, um, I probably evaluate, try to evaluate what the cost is or what the collateral damage would be. Right. Um, I mean, one of the last moves that we made in administration um, was instead of just going headlong into it, um, I evaluated the uh the collateral damage that was going to happen as we move forward, even though it was the right thing to move forward. And I slowly um, put things in place so I could minimize what the collateral damage was going to be, even though I knew that we needed to move forward. So uh, to answer her comment or to comment on her comment, I would, I would say that um, if you can get the wisdom to evaluate before you step in, the problem with that is if you're not careful, um, it'll scare you and you won't step in. Yeah. Um, so I think you have to be cautious. Um, it's a little diff- more difficult when it, you look at what the collateral damage could be. But if you bring everybody aboard with the collateral damage up at the beginning, say, this is what we're hoping for, right. this is the worst case scenario, but we're moving and we're doing what we need to do, then I think you've, you've done a um, good... I think you've done a good evaluation of yeah. where you want to go. And I think, too, um, that comes with more experience, too, is you can learn to gauge which of those potential adversities or potential experiences are worth leaning into and worth right. like leaning away from. Right. Because then you, you count the cost but, and the risk and all that kind of stuff. But, you, but again, if you go back to the to the vision that was written down, it's easier to evaluate the collateral damage through and the filter. opportunity because yeah. you filter through that. And you end up saying, we've got to do this. Yeah. This is something that we, we've got to move on because the world's going to change because we do it. Right. And well, and that's true. It's funny. You can, exa- you can use this filter through any kind of experience. My wife and I do it when we're debating about something, whether or not we should do something or not for our children. Right. You know, and we think about where we want our kids to be. Just to give you an example, my son, Ethan, he's seven. He's absolutely brilliant. He's so smart. You know this. I'm just saying it kind of for anybody listening. He's in first grade. They're finishing their year virtually because nobody's going to school in Ohio right now, really anywhere. Um, And he had a Zoom call this morning. I'm getting pictures, and he's sitting there in front of this computer, and he's talking. He's so incredibly smart. And when they were back in school, the teacher during a parent-teacher conference was says, we want to get him tested for, you know, I can't even think of the word uh, gifted. gifted. We want to do a gifted test right. uh, for him, a gifted assessment to see if he, sh- he should be in advanced math and reading because he's far surpassing the normal grade level uh, in math and reading. And when we sat back, we asked about it. We thought Ethan is not incredibly social, right? Right. And when he's in, he's an, an introvert, he's an introvert for right. sure. And right. he's just not incredibly social. He's great with his friends. And so we had to weigh the cost about whether or not being in a gifted class was going to challenge him in- enough versus the risk of losing out on some of that social stuff that he would get being with his friends in that first grade classroom because they're going to take him out and they'll put him in a second grade classroom and the kids are bigger. There's different issues, right. you know? And so we weighed these things and through our filter, we asked ourselves like when we were newlyweds and we were talking about what it was like to have kids, we had these discussions right. on the front end. What do we want our situation to look like for our children? We're not going to pressure them to be academically successful. We're going to challenge them to do their best, right? right? And so all of these things come through the filter. And so when we were faced with this decision, and again, it's a little bit apples to oranges because, you know, you might, this is an adversity, obviously, but it's an opportunity. 
and we need to look at it and the decision could either help Ethan academically or it could hurt him socially. So there's right. risks either right. way. And so, um, obviously after talking about it, um, you know, we were able to come to a decision and that decision was that we're going to go ahead and do the, the testing because for Ethan, he enjoys the challenge of academics. He enjoys, right. you know, he doesn't, he's not going to miss out on anything because he's going to be able to benefit that. So anyway, the point is, is that we were able to get to that answer quicker because of what we had done on the front end of what our vision was for our son and our family and his academics and social and all that other stuff. Same is true for our daughter in dance. You know, we she's she's starting to get interested in other things. And we said from the beginning, if you start something, you have to finish it. Right. right? You don't right. have to go back the next year if you don't like it, but you're not mm, going to start sounds something. Sounds familiar. I think I did that with you. <laughs> you're not going to start something yeah. and then quit because we're not going to let you like bail on the team and like not be consistent and loyal. If you are in a dance that you don't like, you're going to finish out the season and then you don't have to take that class again next year, but you're not going to be flaky. And so these are the things that when we're faced with adversity, we're able to go, we've already made that decision. And again, we use his stuff all the time, but John Maxwell wrote a book called Today Matters. And in the, the book Today Matters, um, he talks about how the majority of our decisions that we consider to be difficult are actually really simple. Right. It's just that we wait until the, mo the moment to make them. And all of the chaos is adding to the confusion. But if we make decisions early on, then all we have to do every day after that is to manage those decisions. Right. I think it was in Today Matters that he that he wrote. But that. one of the things that came out in that book also was the fact that sometimes we don't work hard. We think that we will work hard when we get into the vision or we have accomplished what I like to call the destination of the vision. Because the vision has a starting point, it has a travel or what I call the journey, and then you have what's called the destination. And so many times we forget the journey to where we are um, missing the journey because we're trying to work to get to the destination. And what I found out a long time ago is that you need to enjoy the journey um, through the process. Right. Um, and, and that starts with today. That means, well, today I'm not going to be in, in that mountaintop experience of the destination. And, and another great book to read um, is um, Dream Giver. Um, I think it's Wilkerson that um, wrote it. And um, in the Dream Giver, it talks about making the destination. And the neat thing, and I won't give you the end of the book. If you want to read it, you can read it. But it basically, uh, the destination opens up all kinds of other areas. And so realistically, the destination is not the destination. Um, it just starts another journey yeah. is what it ends up doing. And, and and so in today, in what you're facing, and I know that some of the people that are watching us on a regular basis, they're evaluating where they want to be and what they want to do in the future and what kind of risks they're taking and things like that. Um, but to get to the destination is you have to enjoy the journey, number one. And number two is that today you work on today. Um, to get to tomorrow. Um, and, and, and sometimes those are sm slow and small steps. Right. But again, it tracks back to the original vision that you wrote yes. down right? based on what we talked about in whatever week that was. But the, um, <clears throat> it's amazing how simple, I guess I'll say, I'm not going to say easy because they're not easy decisions to make, but it's amazing how simple decisions become when you've made them on the front end about how you want to process adversity, you're not going to know option A versus option B, right? right? But you are going to know the kind of decision you want to make, right. right? And then you look at which option A or option B 
falls into that category and then it becomes a much easier decision. Right. Um, and I use this with teenagers, you know, and I say like, if you wait until you get to the party to decide if you're going to want to consume some sort of drug or alcohol, that's probably not wise. It's more likely that you're going to do something that you wouldn't want to do or normally do if you wait until you're faced with the choice to make a decision. But it's more likely that you'll be able to avoid things that could hurt you if you decide on the front end, this is what I'm not going to do. And right. this is what I'm going to do. Right. right? And so, and again, that's another example. Brandon, you want to chime in there? And Well, one thing I uh, hold kind of close uh, morality-wise is like counterexamples are a very large <laughs> teacher for me. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's one of the few things that human beings have that a lot of other uh, animals do not is that we can see something and see how it doesn't work and know, okay, I don't want to do that. Right. So it kind of gives you an idea of what you do and don't want to do before you even get into yeah, there's the situation. Yeah, there's, you make a positive choice based on the consequences of a negative one. Of another person's Of another person's one. negative choice. And this is another thing, and I don't want to go off on too many tangents without bringing it around to the end of the story of Joseph. But I, I struggle with this, and my wife and some of my close friends have heard me um, talk about this. <clears throat> and it it's this idea that you have to make mistakes in order to learn lessons. I, I don't like that when people say, well, you got to let them make mistakes. That's the only way they'll learn. I agree that some people only learn if they make mistakes. I don't agree that the only way to learn is to make mistakes because right. you can learn from the examples of other people. You can learn from the advice of other people. I was able to avoid a litany of bad decisions because of your lessons and things that you taught me and things that you almost said because of my bad decisions. well no no not at all <laughs> not e not even but i felt that coming no that um, wasn't even in my head at all but right. that's also true because yeah. you've said like this is where i was this is what i did i remember i was going to drop out of college and you said it took me 20 years to learn working in a secular job what you're going to learn in four years right you're not gonna it's going to benefit you in the ministry world to go to a state university that's challenging your faith from a non-faith perspective. And your experience, your guidance, I finished the degree, took me five years. I was on the five-year plan, not ashamed of it, okay? But your experience, your lessons taught me um, exactly what that looked like. And <clears throat> you can learn from other people's mistakes or you can learn from other people's experience. The only way to learn is, to, is not always to fail and then learn from it. No. You can you can succeed in a particular choice right. without and, failing in that particular situation. And, and what I've said in the past about failing forward and, and all the stuff that we do to learn off of failure, if you can evaluate the consequences and because of your past experiences help you not to fail, that's the better journey. Right. It's, but what I was trying to um, re you know, kind of emphasize in the past is that if you fail and when you fail, that's not a ter terminal blow to the vision. Right. It's, right. It's just get up, clean yourself off. That eh, won't do that one again, and and move on. But just because you're going through the process of the journey of the vision or where you want to accomplish what you want to do doesn't mean you have to fail while you're doing it. But what it does mean is that w when and if you fail, to to move on. Don't let that stop you in the journey. That's part of the that's part of the journey. Yeah. 
you know, but I can tell you, I haven't met too many people and I would be interested if anybody would want to shoot us an email or shoot us a text. I haven't met too many people that took on a God-sized vision that didn't have a train wreck. And and again, I want to emphasize that I'm not saying that it's possible not to fail. I'm saying that it's possible to learn and failure not be the only lesson. Yes. The only teacher. Absolutely. Because, and that's the thing that I get to is that I, I, cause I work primarily with young people like in their high school years and there's this idea, it's the YOLO idea that you only live once and I'm just going to go do whatever because you know, and then like, I, I know people who they'll say, I don't have any regrets at all because it got me to where I am right now. Right. And in my head, I'm like, well, you could have gotten to this same place without like some of the roadblocks that you hit because right. Like it wasn't the roadblocks that got you to this point. It was how you process them. It was choices that you made. Right. And it's possible for you to have made those choices to avoid those roadblocks. Now, thank God we're where we are. Thank God you're here. Thank God it's not worse, whatever. But there's this concept that I, I feel like is almost a cop out where it's well, the only way to learn is to fail. It's, no, no, no. Failure no. is an excellent teacher. Evaluated right. experience is probably the most effective teacher. But it is possible to learn without failing. But what's your statement? It's not possible to succeed without failing. Right. Like, let me, I want to emphasize, and I, I hope I'm being clear. It's possible to learn without failing. But I don't think any successful person has been successful without experiencing failure at some point. So right. it's, just, it's, it's just that, like, failure is not required to learn. It's a great teacher. But it's not required to learn. You can learn from other people's well, what failures. You, what you can do learn you, from other people's What's that experience. statement that you say about wisdom? Uh, about uh, <laughs> looking at your past? Oh, under- Andy Stanley is yeah. an author. He's written several books. Um, he, you know, he talks about how when you're faced with a decision, the, the challenge is not to do what's right or what's wrong in that moment because you can almost argue yourself that whatever you want to do is right. Sure. You know, you can argue that. Um, but he has this great idea and and he wrote it in a book that the original version of the book was called the best question ever. I think it's a different title now. It was republished. But um, Andy Stanley s- says that in light of your past experience, in light of your current situation and in light of your future hopes and dreams, three filters, your past experience, your current situation and your future hopes and dreams. So where you were, where, where, you, you, are, are, where you are and, and where, where you, you want to go. go, ask yourself not what's right, but what's wise. Based on the things that you've learned, when you're making decisions the current, through the journey, yes, the current moment this that you're in, this is where I've been, and where you want to go. This is where I'm at today. This is where I want to go. Now, the decision based on where I want to be, what is a wise decision? What's a wise decision? Don't ask what's right. No, you know because what's you, again, what's right can be variable, but what's wise is consistent through your past experience, your current situation, and, and, I've and seen, your future hopes. I've and seen dreams. people that's gotten dreams and they went completely south. And the only thing that Dave would focus on is dreams. There was a lady that called me four or five years ago, and she she developed this ministry, and she got this, I don't know, um, and I don't know her. She doesn't know me. She just called me, and she said, I've got this dream and this vision I want to accomplish. I want to help people. And she called it the Dandelion um, Ministry Okay, is what it was called And um, here locally. And she went full full tilt into it and basically saying, I looked at the dandelions and realized that nobody wants the dandelions. And, and I realized that there's people out there that nobody wants. And she had a really, really good, you know, um, I would say base to her feelings and thinking. Um, but she also 
um, went full tilt in, didn't even look at what the price could be. And within months, she was way over her head and then begging me to bail her out, mm. which we couldn't do. And and I watched her just crash and burn um, with this because she just didn't have the wisdom. Um, she just went into it full tilt instead of taking it a step at a time. She was pushing doors open that didn't need to be pushed open. <laughs> yeah. And when we want to accomplish our dream and vision, if we're not careful, we'll push too hard yeah when the door's being slapped in our face and what i found out is god will say okay if you're not going to take the wisdom that i want to give you if you're if you don't want to take the the little gut feeling to slow down that i'm going to give you i'm going to let you go ahead and go forward but probably in the midst of this forward you're going to fall on your face right and then i'll pick you up and i'll dust you off but then we got to come back around and you got to evaluate where i wanted you to evaluate to begin with but you didn't want to evaluate this so i'm going to let you go on um, and, and do your thing. It's like Bob's get, okay, Bob, here you go. You know, you, we'll see how far Bob can take it, you know? And then I learned that lesson. Um, and, and it's not that he's up there saying, I'm going to trip him. It's just the fact I'm up there saying, I can do it without you. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know what I'm knowing and I, and I can do it without you. And I don't say it out of my mouth and I don't even think it, but I'm so driven at sometimes that I can have that attitude that, well, I, it's up to me. It's yeah. up to me. And every time that I get into that position where it's up to me, I learn a, I learn a really, really tough lesson at yeah. that time. Um, and, and have to come back and, and say, Whoop, okay, mm -hmm. this is bigger than me. This, Bob can't control this. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole thing. So get back with the whole Joseph yeah, thing. Yeah, and so— And when, how's this wrapping? When we come back around to the Joseph story, and this is interesting because I was just thinking about this— is that none of the experiences and adversities that Joseph faced were because of his choices. No. And I think that that's something important to keep in mind too, because we're talking about failure and how failure could be a teacher and evaluated experience and all these other things. There's going to be times in your life and your leadership and your parenthood, whatever it is and schooling, whether you're a young person or adult, where you're going to hit what could be considered a failure or a roadblock that has nothing to do with you. You've done everything right up to this point it, and you're still going to face adversity. Let, let me tick a little bit off of that because I think Joseph was so young and he was so excited about the vision that he was given to him. The wisdom of him being careful who he spoke it to right. really created some of the collateral damage but that he had again i'm not going to blame joseph for the fact that his brothers threw him in a well and sold him into slavery no. even though he was a little cocky about a dream right. that his mistake doesn't justify his the experiences from that point nope. on and so yes he could have had some wisdom but his experiences were not his but fault. what's the lesson that we learn off of that the lesson that we learn off of that is when god gives us a dream or a vision i think we need to be very careful of who we ex we expose that to and how we expose it, um, because if it if you're not careful, it comes off condescending. It comes off as I've got something that you don't have. Right. And and I think we have to learn that lesson off of Joseph is the fact that if he would have created this a little differently, if he would have done this differently. But I believe that Joseph had to go through all the steps that he went through to to get him to a place of where the end of the story comes. Right. And again, or he would have reacted wrong he he probably wasn't emotionally or maturity like ready to handle what the dream that he got and if you didn't listen to last week's episode we told the whole story so so check back and listen to that right um but he had a dream he had a vision about what his life was going to be like when he was a young boy and it carried through and he experienced all this adversity 
Um, like, for example, his his boss's wife, when she made a sexual advance at him, he did exactly what you're supposed to do. Yep. And he still was punished for it. So right. his he was not responsible for the adversity that he faced. Right. You're going you're going to experience adversity and even failure and roadblocks that have nothing to do with the choices that you've made. Right. They have everything to do with the choices that other people have made. And then you are. I don't want to use the word victim because that seems a little strong, but you're the one who has to deal with the consequences of those choices. Now you're still given an opportunity in that moment to right. choose how you're going to process it. And so what Joseph did, and we talked about this last week, Joseph was experiencing all these different things. What could have been failures. He could have given up and nobody would have blamed him because of all the things he faced, but he, he remained faithful to God. God remained faithful to him, which is even more, that's a whole hour's worth of conversation there that right. God remains faithful, uh, even when we don't, but thankfully Joseph did. And so then he's faced with uh, Pharaoh. He has a dream. And then Joseph is put in charge of seeing the dream come to a reality. And the dream was that, that Pharaoh had, and this is where we left off last week is that <clears throat> there was the, the dream had cows and all this other stuff in it. But the symbolism was that there's going to be seven good years of, production and then seven years of famine. Right. And Joseph said, what you have to do is you have to, I have a plan. You have to save during the seven good years. So that way you can survive the seven bad years. Pharaoh goes, you're the man. You're so he charge. puts him in charge of this plan. And now Joseph is officially like the second in the kingdom. Right. Um, and he's responsible for developing. There's a fly in here. Brandon mentioned earlier, it's buzzing around. So you want to close the doors? We can close the doors and yeah, that, that way it'll go. Um, it's not bugging me, but We're if good. you want to close it, it's fine. Where did it go? I don't know. I think it's, it's attracted to the lights here. Okay. Um, <clears throat> but so Joseph was faced with this new found leadership and he was experiencing, um, for the first time, the, the fulfillment of what would be this dream that he had when he was a teenager of him being responsible for people. And so he put together a plan of, of stashing, of saving certain amount of crops and produce or not produce, but crops from seven, the seven good years. And then he distributed it back to the land. And it got to the point where people from other regions were coming to Egypt and saying, stuff. we need stuff. And right. so now they're in the middle of this regional famine. I don't know how far it expanded, but in the middle of this regional famine, they're economy so to speak they're they're better off because joseph interpreted this dream got put in charge and what's interesting is that one of the one of the groups one of the families that came from a region that was struggling was joseph's own brothers right right and so and then this is this is kind of the and the story goes on and on but this is kind of the ending point for this particular illustration is that the brothers come and they don't know that it's joseph that they're coming to they've long thought that joseph has was, has died or, you know, he's still a slave boy somewhere. And so they come to him and they don't know that it's Joseph and they bow down to him because they're coming in humility to get food, to take back home and provide for their families. And this is the reality. This is the realization of the dream that Joseph had, because in Joseph's dreams, as you remember from last week, the, between the celestial beings all bowing down to, you know, one, thing and then the sheaves of wheat bowing down to one thing joseph's dream basically meant that his family was going to bow down to him in submission to his authority and here they are it's happening 
But they don't know who he they is. They don't know who he is. But he knows who they but are. But he knows who they are. He knows that it's them. And he doesn't say anything for a while. And then this is where Joseph, you can kind of see that there's some stuff in Joseph that he probably could have talked to a therapist about. Because if you read the story, he like plays little tricks on his family right. and he like holds a brother hostage almost. And is like almost spitefully, you know, and then like the pressure of it gets to him and he kind of breaks down eventually and tells them that it's him. And then they have this, you know, this reunion basically. And the dad comes into the picture again and they all kind of they're all getting along you know it's like the end of a 30 minute sitcom back in 1998 right the music plays and the credits roll and it's fine joseph dies in egypt and the family you know they it's all it just the story continues (laughs) and if you this is another interesting part about failure and adversity is that that story leads into the book of exodus right where from that point something happened that soured the relationship and the entire Israelite nation become slaves for like forever under Egyptian rule. And then you get into the story of Moses and the plagues and all that, but it's almost century. I can't, I don't know the exact time frame, but they're in slavery forever. Yeah. Right. And that kind of is a, is a continuation of this story of Joseph. So Joseph in his personal story, there was great adversity and then great success, which led eventually not because of Joseph, but led eventually to the entire Israelite nation becoming slaves like they like i don't know some new leader took over and they just it just became what we know as the book of exodus and the the splitting of the red sea and all the stories that we hear about from moses and all that stuff um and so the narrative of this is that joseph was experiencing incredible adversity he chose to remain faithful he chose to see the adversity as an opportunity he became a leader in each step of the adversity right to eventually seeing his dream become a reality and he saved his family as a result of his faithfulness he didn't become the leader on his own he was placed into the leadership it wasn't that he went and said i'll lead yeah it was the fact that he had that ability to lead and the people around him saw it right and elevated him forward right is what happened um talk about um you know, I, I wrote down two things that when in one of the disruptions, when we moved from the Todd Avenue over to uh, the Broadway, we ended up having um, I had a lot of investigations on me. And this was shortly after the church thing had fell apart, too. And we we were investigated by IRS. Um, I was investigated and interviewed several times and had to give several years of documentation to the attorney general of the state of Ohio. Um, there was all this adversity that came our direction that I had done absolutely nothing wrong, but there was people that were saying that I was doing things wrong and calling people in, in high areas. And I had all these investigations come down on me, um, week after week, month after month that came down on us. And I know that, uh, Angie was a little concerned about it. And I kept on saying, I don't have any problem with it. We have nothing to hide. We've done nothing wrong. And, and it just was one right after the other, that was coming after us and and it was directed by two or three people um and i remember sitting in a room and i got advice from an individual said i think um someone's after you big time and you could be in trouble and i went for what i didn't right. do anything he said they're going to dig until they find something i said there's nothing to find and he even told me he said you need to get a criminal lawyer involved especially with the attorney general for the state of ohio so I called a criminal attorney and I said, this is what's going on. And so he called, um, he called the attorney general of the state of Ohio 
and ask them what they were looking for. They were looking for me embezzling money. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I had given them, I think three or four years of my personal finances. And so my attorney, uh, then called their office and they said, you know, they wanted another year. I think at that time we were four years back or five years back. He said, we're going to have all the documentation for seven years at our office. You come here. Um, and, and we'll go from there. So I remember being drilled from this attorney time and time and time again for about three or four hours. And really, they weren't finding anything. They just kept going back. Right. And I remember my attorney looking at their attorney and saying, here's what we're going to do. From here on out, we're not giving you anything. If you've got anything, indict. And I remember feeling this cold wave come over me like, <clears throat> indict? Indict for what? And and he just looked at me and he said, um, we're not giving you anything anymore. This is a witch hunt. If you've got something, indict. We're not meeting with you. We're not doing anything. Indict him. And, um, and I remember after the meeting, I went up to my attorney and I said, what are you doing? He goes, they have nothing. They can't indict you. Yeah. Well, then I found out that it was a person that knew someone that had made a call to the attorney general's office as a favor. And that attorney general is not around anymore. And, and basically said, Hey, we believe that Bob's doing something wrong. And so he started this unofficial official investigation on me. Right. And, um, I didn't know what was going on. Thank God my attorney knew what was going on. And within a matter of probably a day or two after that, I realized I found out who was feeding this. It happened to be someone in authority that was feeding this. And I remember calling their office and saying, listen, I know you're behind this because you're friends with this person. And if you don't stop the investigation immediately, um, I'm going to go to the media. Yeah. And I'm going to tell the media what's going on because it was a witch hunt. And it was a friend of a friend that knew someone that was in a high area. And they basically were coming after me yeah. because this person didn't like what I had done. Um, and, and, and by stepping on their toes and basically moving them out of the vision. And um, I remember um, getting like a, the person that answers the phone. And, and I remember saying, you probably should give a message to this individual that if I don't hear back from them personally by 5.30, I will be calling the news at 6. And what I have to say, I will get on the news and the news will report what I'm saying. And I remember within 10 minutes, this individual called me back and acting like they didn't know me. Um, and I, my statement to them was, um, if you don't shut this down, I'm going to the media because this is unconstitutional what you're doing to me. And I remember from that moment forward, it went silent. Attorney general didn't call anymore. Attorneys didn't call anymore. Yeah. No one asked for anything. Um, so when we were talking about adversity and that's my phone call, um, talk a little bit more about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he'll step back in when the call is done. The, um, the thing that always pulls me in with the story of Joseph and adversity and, you know, what he just referred to is that there was a number of people who were throwing stuff at him and trying to get him busted, right, for things that he never did or things that they just didn't like that he did. And so let's see if we can get him caught in something is that when you're a leader and Joseph is an example of this, is that adversity is going to follow you around. You know, it's just going to be something that you face and it's not fair. And that's another thing that I struggle with when people are, you know, telling me, well, it's not fair. You know, why is this happening to me? It's not fair. And I said, well, because it's not fair. It's not fair. It's, it doesn't have to be fair because if it were, it would be easy. 
and nothing worth doing is easy. And so adversity is going to happen. But in continuing the theme of this is that he could have chosen to fight back and get mean and aggressive, which he was about to do almost when it comes to the media and not slurring or, you know, smearing or whatever. But there's this idea of <clears throat> do if I don't do anything or if I try to take the high ground, I'm almost feeling like I'm going to I'm rolling over, you know, and in leadership, it's really the opposite of that leadership. When you ch take the high ground and you stay focused on your vision, all of that other stuff is going to become background noise. And I think that that is what separates certain you know, mediocre average leaders from great leaders who accomplish amazing things. Brandon, you and I talk all the time about, we have this big affection for Steve jobs, you know, and if, you know, I'm an Apple guy, I love the product. He was not the nicest person in the world. He has a wide reputation for being mean, mm -hmm. right? At least at the beginning and through the majority of his career. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty well known that towards the end of it, he softened up, Yeah. whatever. But well, they say, and, and I know you know this, but they say people who like subordinates to Steve Jobs who would stand up to him, especially when he was ranting and raving and just yeah. really going in on his employees, people who would stand up to him and just put their foot down like, I'm yeah. not going to deal with this anymore. He'd kind of like shut it down in a moment, but later on they would end up getting some kind of bonus or raise or, or some at least some recognition. Recognition yeah. for standing up to, I mean, such a powerful being. Right. Because his point wasn't necessarily just to win it was to develop a great product and more often than not he believed probably that his idea was the right one you know and mm -hmm. a lot of times it probably was oh, some of the things he'd say would reflect that we talked about another thing we talked about he's like how do people know what they want if we haven't told if them we yet? haven't told him yet what a bold incredibly bold statement you know he knows best like, right? and and so when you think about it and whether he did or didn't you know i you know whatever i mean we have good products and that's fine and What's well, the biggest company in the world? So he he, he developed, he, as a leader, he did it. Like he did the thing that a business owner wants to do. He made his product a culture, right? I mean, it's a cult. <laughs> like when you get an Apple, you're like in. You're like, I'm never going back now. And there's exceptions. And you're, there's people who are going to want to switch from Apple sure. to Android. But if you're someone, I mean, like you or like me, I could never, I will die I would I have die an, an Apple before guy. I have yeah. an Android. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and again, we're talking leadership and we're talking business and how, you know, there were moments probably when he, if he was not this tunnel vision kind of person, he could have let all of these things pull him one way or another and distract him and keep him from, from being focused on what the vision is. And when you're facing adversity as a leader, that's really what the opportunity is. Do I get pulled to the sides into these little battles right? Or do I continue walking towards the vision? And if you're a faith person, if you're, if you're a spiritual minded person, then there's this idea that the enemy, right? There's a battle between God and the devil or good and evil, whatever kind of terminology you want to use. But if you're a spiritual person, then you have this concept that we're kind of in the middle of a tension between these two forces or these two, this good and evil, whatever. Again, if you're a spiritual person, all of those adversities are temptations to pull you off focus, right? And the goal might not even be to get you to like engage in these smaller battles. The goal might be just to get you pulled off your vision. Because if your vision is to serve people, right? Which what, what vision 
that's worth doing doesn't serve people in some way. Whether you're making coffee or building buildings or building a church or, you know, doing community service stuff, it's all going to serve people in some way, right? And so the temptation then, if you get pulled into these different struggles, is now your focus is on fighting one battle and you can't serve your people. If, if you're a faith person, then you're, you're aware that the enemy is winning at that point, right? They're pulling you off focus. And we as leaders can't get pulled off focus because the vision that we're chasing is too important. And that's what separates the people who can see a vision come to reality and those that flake out or, or flash in the pan or can't follow through, you know? Um, cause I've had people, dad's talked a lot about his adversity and how a lot of people have said negative things about him. There was one time, this is an experience I'll never forget. And I struggle with the idea of this to this day. And, um, I got a phone call from a woman and this woman and her husband had worked with my dad in the past. They did not have the best like idea of who my dad was. You know, the relationship had, you know, gone a different way than the way that it had started. And they just didn't really trust him a ton. And I remember they had started working with me and some of the things that I was working on with refuge a little bit, because they really cared about young people. They wanted to serve organizations in the community that served young people. And there was my phone rang and it was this woman, the the wife of, of the, of the husband that was working with me. And, and, uh, she didn't mean to call me. She had butt dialed me, but the conversation that she was having with her friends in that moment was about me. And so I got a voicemail. Like I picked it uh, No, I didn't pick it up. I missed it. And I got a voicemail from her and I listened to the voicemail and in the voicemail, she was saying, he's just like his dad. You can't trust him. It'll never work. Right. And she mentioned my name. So I knew she was talking about me and she mentioned the specific topic that she was frustrated about with her friends and whatever she was out having wine or I don't know, whatever she was with her girlfriends. It's people talk about stuff. It's no big deal. I'm not entirely sure why I was the topic of conversation. It seems like there were more important things to be talking about, but I kept the voicemail for a long time <laughs> because it had like, it, it hurt me, but it motivated me because it, it like it angered me because I didn't, I couldn't understand why First of all, she had such a disdain for my dad. I took that personally because my dad's my hero, right? Whether or not he's made mistakes, he's always been present for me. Like, you know, whatever people are going to say about him, I got my own ideas because he's, I've been around him the most. And, uh, so she said, he's just like his dad. He can't, he's not going to, it's not going to work. This whole thing's going to fail. You can't trust him. Like, I think that I owed a bill or something like a payment that I was waiting for an invoice for. She says, he'll never pay. We're never going to see that money or whatever. Of course I paid it, you know, because the next day I called the person that she was referring to that I wasn't going to pay. And I said, I can't pay you till I have an invoice. We already talked about this, blah, 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 you know, whatever. So we paid her. It was like a couple hundred bucks. I can't remember. And so, but it was so infuriating, you know, and I kept that voicemail and I had a buddy of mine that was working with me and he was so like bent out of shape, right? He was distraught. He goes, I'm calling the husband. Like, cause he worked with the husband in a, in a church situation. I'm calling the husband. I am, this is ridiculous. I can't believe she, and she was like, rah, rah, rah. Or he was going crazy about to lose his mind. I can't believe that it's so inappropriate. Why would they? And I, and I, <laughs> I remember going, we're not going to do that. I don't want you to do that. Don't do that on my behalf. Don't do that for me. I don't want, I don't want that. Oh, we got to do it. You got to do something. I said, I'm going to stay focused 
on what we're doing, right? Because if I can stay focused on what we're doing, then whatever she thinks is true is going to prove to be false and that it's a non-issue anyway. But if I spend all of my time trying to disprove her exclusively and specifically, it's going to take you off track of what you're trying to do. It's going to take me way off track of what I'm trying to do. And now my actions and my vision become about reaching her than they do about serving kids. And so I just kept serving kids. I called her back and I said, I'm not sure if you meant to give me uh, I'm not sure if you meant to call me, but I got about a three minute voicemail from you and I listened to the whole thing and it was, I thought it was hurtful and incorrect. And I want to air out the things that the misunderstandings or the miscommunications that apparently you believe are true. And so we handled it and whatever. And I just stayed focused and she asked me some questions and I answered them. And she's like, well, thank you for being honest. And then she never actually apologized to me, which I found interesting. She said, I'm sorry that you heard that. She never apologized for saying it. That's why one of the biggest things that kind of gets on my nerves is when someone apologizes, which she didn't technically do. She just admitted, I'm not sorry for what I said. I'm just sorry you heard it. I'm sorry you heard it. It's yeah. kind of along the I still line. believe what I said to be true, but you shouldn't have heard it. That was meant for private consumption. Yeah. More like, I'm sorry that what I said made you feel that way. You're yeah. apologizing to someone else for their own feelings rather than apologizing on your own behalf. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's... uh. <laughs> oh man, I can't believe that that happened to me. But it's it's it it all tracks back to this idea that as leaders when you face adversity, you're faced with an opportunity. You're faced with a choice. You're faced with something <clears throat> excuse me, that is not going it's not going to just happen automatically. You have to choose whether or not it's going to go your way or like the other way. And uh, Joseph was faced with those adversities. I don't know what kind of situation you're in as a listener to this. I know that in the, some of the engagement that we have, there's people that are transitioning out of some one type of business into other types of business. I know that there's people that are listening that are starting businesses. I know that there's people that have started businesses that haven't worked um, or they didn't work the way that you wanted and you've had to make the tough decision. I know that there's a lot of people who the, it, things were rolling and then all of a sudden because of this global pandemic that we're dealing with, things have fallen kind of to the, to the ground and you're not sure if it's going to be able to get back up again. And, but all of these things are opportunities and we can't allow the adversity that knocks us down to be the thing that keeps us down because getting up is part of the, the struggle. And when you get up, there's more opportunities that are presented. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a proponent to the idea that no matter how bad a situation is, of course, I mean, it could be even something as terrible as like a death in the family or, or, I mean, the worst thing you could possibly think of. If you take two steps in another direction and then look at it from that angle, yeah, chances are you're going to find some kind of positive or some other way to handle the situation that you've been handed. Right. So I think that's a kind of a really important thing to kind of try and keep in mind is that perspective is everything so if you're looking at it from well there's nothing left i can do then guess what right there's nothing left you're going to be able to do because you're not even thinking about what you can do right to fix the situation yeah you're just going to be stuck where you're at right anchored to uh a, you know a position of not progressing anymore yeah and i mean to give a, a, an even another practical example the phone call that he's taking right now is in is the the context of it is how to process as an essential business that handles healthcare, the growing fear of Ohio starting to reopen, right? 
and the increased risk of this COVID-19 virus getting onto our campus or processing it. So he's working with professionals, healthcare professionals and department of health and all this kind of stuff to just have a good plan in place, right? These are not things that we have any control over, right? And so we can just say, all right, whatever, you know, or we can make all kinds of decisions on the front end that may seem overreactionary, that may seem like they're too much, that may seem like it's a waste. But if in the event something were to happen where we're faced with that adversity, we already have these plans in place and can implement them or have them already implemented to decrease the opportunity of said adversity happening. Now, again, we won't get into the science of this COVID-19 thing and and because <laughs> that's a polarizing subject as it is. And there's a ton of people, some that are even listening that might lean one way or another about the severity of it or the reality of it. It just depends on what facts they believe. Right. And But for us, we don't have a choice but to assume that what at least some of what they're saying is true because we are responsible for more than just ourselves. Right. And so we've got 60 plus kids, we've got 60 plus staff and all of those staff are going out into the communities now that things are starting to open up and then they're coming back on campus. So we are faced with whether we want it or not, the potential adversity of some sort of virus coming in, coming in contact with what we're doing on a daily basis. So we have to put plans in place, right? And so what we're going to do is we're going to develop a plan. We're going to implement it and then we're going to see what happens. And then based on what happens, we're going to adapt or tweak the plan and then we're going to continue implementing it. And then we're going to see what happens. And I think that that when it comes to vision is the stuff that drives so many people absolutely crazy is that, and then we'll see what happens idea because you're never going to be able to map out every step of the way until you are right in front of that step. And then you look at what you've done up to this point and how it's worked or not worked, right? And this is where that failure can be a good teacher. And then you make decisions based on that experience about what the best, wisest next step would be. And, you know, we're using this virus as an example for us that's mandating that every employee wear a mask, for example. Some people, some medical experts say that that could increase the risk. Other people are saying it's going to decrease the risk of you spreading it. It's not going to keep you from getting it, but it's going to keep you from spreading it. Whatever. We made a choice. We implemented it. We're going to see what happens, right? And then <clears throat> there's... uh you know, they're, we're doing temperature checks at every beginning of every shift for every single person. You checked yours this morning. I checked mine. He checked his. We're, we're only around each other right now, but we're, we're implementing, we're practicing, we're going through the steps because that's what the vision of this particular adversity requires of us, right? And so when you're faced with that adversity, when you're faced with that challenge to your vision, you have to um, put in place like hardcore specific, they don't have to be big, but specific steps to take you through. I have a friend who is, uh, she's a professional dancer and she's unemployed in that frame, in that realm right now. Um, she dances at a theme park in Virginia. She's terrific. She babysits my kids. We love her. Um, and it's, it's, it's crappy. It's bummer. It's a major disappointment that she's not able to, she should be working right now. She should be dancing. It's terrible. And I tell her all the time how proud I am of her because she, in the middle of the difficult situation, she is not trying to avoid being sad, but she's not letting it hold her back from chasing other opportunities when she's, while she's still here. And so that's vision. That's, that's leadership. That's initiative. And that's important. My wife, my wife's dance studio is closed as a result of this. And 
She does, she doesn't own it. She works at it, but she's teaching zoom classes and she's got students that she's me, being in contact with. We're faced with it. We're faced with it. It's terrible. It doesn't make any sense. This is nobody's fault. We didn't choose this, but we're faced with an opportunity and we look at the options and we move forward. And so <clears throat> what we want to challenge you guys with, uh, as you're listening to this and he's still on the call and I don't, I'm not sure if he'll be back before we wrap up, but, um, we want to challenge you with this. Uh, adversity versus opportunity thing for a second week in a row and ask you guys to look at what adversities you're experiencing and look at for the opportunities that it presents. Because if you are, if you're faced with adversities that are not because of decisions that you've made, that's sometimes harder to deal with because if you're faced with adversities that are a result of your own choices then you can kind of bonk yourself on the head and go, oh, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And then you learn from it and you move on. But if you're faced with adversities that are the fault of somebody else or because of the choices of somebody else, then you you are in an incredibly unique situation as a leader, as a visionary, as a parent, whatever. Because then you're for, you're forced to adapt based on the choices of other people. And that's kind of where we want to like focus the topic of this challenge for this week for you is to look at the adversity that you're facing because of the choices of other people and still ask yourself, how can I stay focused on the vision rather than how could I disprove this person or how could I get past this person or how could I, how can I get past this, this problem they're bringing to me? And then instead ask yourself, how can I adapt the chase of my vision to use this adversity as opportunity to grow it further. Right. And, um, <clears throat> there's, uh, there's tons of stories in the Bible that, that illustrate that Joseph is, is one, um, I, you know, Moses, uh, spent 40 years in the desert because he killed a man. That was his choice. Right. But then he was faced with the, um, the, the, when he went to, you know, free the Israelites from Egypt, uh, there was tons of choices that were made by somebody else that he had to deal with. There's, um, you know, Jesus was, I mean, the, the man was killed because of the choices of other people. He obviously did nothing wrong ever to deserve that kind of punishment. The, the you know, David made some very terrible decisions and the people that didn't do anything wrong in his life were affected by his terrible decisions. There was a man that was killed because Joseph slept with that man's wife and wanted that man out of the picture. That man didn't do anything wrong. He was killed by David's bad decisions. And then David was affected by other people's bad decisions when he was younger. And then, you know, as he lived his life on, we're always going to face adversity. That's not because of decisions that we make. That's not an excuse to get angry and give up. That's an opportunity to grow and move forward. I'm not saying don't feel it. I'm not saying don't be angry. I'm not saying don't be sad. I'm saying, look for the opportunity in that. We'll welcome back in dad now after the phone call. Sorry about that. That's all right. I actually explained to them that not the incredible details of the plans that we're putting in place, but that as leaders, we're faced with unique adversity with this virus about how we have to put plans in place on the front end right. to where if we're ever faced with it. And I explained that part of the phone calls that you're on on a daily basis is with the health department, making yep. sure that what we're doing is the right thing, Correct. asking if there's anything new. And we haven't had huge issues. I mean, there's been 
some we've got a couple there's little been issues. some high temperatures on occasion but so far so good but part of the reason why we're able to be confident is because we have a vision for what we want this to look like and we implement it on the front end we don't wait to face it right and then go what do we do now right and so and then we were we just kind of talked about how <clears throat> and we're going to start wrapping up here in a minute but we were talking about how there's really kind of two types of adversity there's adversity that's happens because of bad decisions that you've made mm-hmm. and there's or decisions that you made that turned out not to be the right ones and then there's adversity that happens because of other people's bad decisions even if you haven't done anything correct wrong correct and so what the challenge that i was issuing and and, and kind of given out there was to for people to look at the adversity that they're facing that's the result of other people's choices and ask themselves how they can use that as an opportunity to further their own vision rather than getting pulled off task trying to disprove those people or trying to overcome their choices because the enemy at that point, if you're a faith person, like I said, their goal at that point is just to pull you off topic. That's it. And so if you could stay focused, then you'll be able to put that adversity almost as background noise and it could become a greater motivator or a greater opportunity to take the vision even further and then the enemy's plan actually backfires. Right. And you're more motivated and you're more driven and you're more focused. Well, one of the things about as you prepare for adversity or you prepare for wherever you're going in your journey, let's let's just put the example of the COVID-19. We have to prepare for the worst, hope for the best. And that's why we went aggressively um, weeks ago in doing things that no one else was doing prior to it. And... Um, Here's the thing that bothers me or that that hurts me as a leader is that if we can't stop COVID-19 from coming into our facility, um, I'm going to struggle with the whole fact that I failed somewhere. Right. Where I'm finding out, talking with the health department and the state of Ohio and different things, what they're telling me is um, you could stay home all winter long, lock your door, not see anybody, and you could still get the flu. And they said, so you're doing everything that you can do. And one of the things that I, I do on a regular basis is, can we do more? What do we need to do more? Because we realize that this is a dangerous situation that we're in. It's not like that we can just lock ourselves down in our homes and wait for it to pass over. We have 100 employees and their families and their distant families. Right. We have 68 different kids that, that represents you know 50 different counties across the state of Ohio. And so it's a big, big deal, uh, plus just the, the, the negativity that would come if you get someone that gets sick. Um, and, and so even though we're going to prepare for the best— and we're going to do everything up front right. to with stop the, it. With the goal of it never being on right. campus. It doesn't mean that we will. Yes. And then if it does, we're not going to consider what we did a failure. No. Because— we knew from the beginning that the expectation was high. Right. And, what and I, so then we put in, but then we have contingency plans in place for if the original plan doesn't do what we hope it would, even though we expect that it can't because right. it's just not how viruses work. Right. We have plans in place to limit the severity. Correct. Right. To keep with the whole goal being to keep everybody safe now. So, so just to kind of wrap this up and then I want you to put a, put a period on it is that the vision is to keep everybody safe, right? If we break it down to like one singular thing, the goal is to keep everybody safe, right? There's a thousand different opinions about whether this thing is as severe and the numbers and blah, 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 and all these conspiracy, whatever, but the goal is to keep everybody safe. If we get pulled off topic and argue about masks 
or, you know, temperatures or whatever, antibodies, blah, blah, blah. This, the, the accuracy of numbers. I mean, it's just, if you, I don't know what it's, what state you're listening from or whatever, but if you're in Ohio, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm sure it kind of go, the national news kind of has the same feel, right? Is that nobody really knows and everybody thinks that they do and they just talk, right? No matter what, if we get pulled off topic, we lose that original vision of keeping everybody safe. Right. And then we run the risk of getting so distracted by defending or trying to convince that our choices are the right ones. Right. When in reality, we just make the choice, we put the plan in place. And then we see what happens. Right. And then we adapt the plan and we keep moving forward. And you count the cost. If I do this, what's my collateral damage? If I don't do this, what's my collateral damage? And and I've surrounded myself with people. And I had a meeting a few weeks ago with our top team. And I got some feedback. And some of them were saying, we don't need to do this and we don't need to do that. And I remember going home at night. And, and this was just a few weeks ago. And evaluating my decisions based off consequences and and the price if we did and if we didn't and i came back and i basically trumped everybody i came in i said this is what we're doing and i remember pulling the whole team together in the gym and i said this is what we're doing i don't want i i appreciate your opinion i appreciate your input remember you saying but the time for your feedback is done yeah i mean i'm not interested in your feedback anymore i've asked i've gotten it this is the choice this is what we're going to implement it this is what we're going to do we're going to implement it and i don't want to hear any more talk about it right i don't want you to hear and and that's that's just leadership you know right Uh, you you want to surround yourself with people that will give you good intel but somewhere down the road they've got to come to the conclusion that you're the one making the decision and they need to line up right and here's the neat thing about it they did. And no, Everybody haven't been any did. issues. Right? None whatsoever. It's yeah. like, okay, we got it. And, and, and so <laughs> from there, but, um, I guess to put a period on today, even though I missed quite a bit of it, um, not that much is that we just need to, you know, as we move forward in this, um, journey that we're in, enjoy the journey. Don't, don't lose, um, enjoyment in life because you're waiting to get to the destination. It right. took his whole life. Joseph. For Joseph to get where he yeah. was at so he could turn around and help the people that really didn't like him. And in reality, when you read the text, he made the best of every situation he was in. I, don't I, know I how... wrote this down before I left. I said he had the opportunity to do right to the people that did him wrong. Right. And I think if there's a lesson that's to be learned of those people that buck you in, in your dream and your vision of where you want to go forward— you're going to have an opportunity somewhere down the road to either do bad to them or to do good to them. Yeah. And that could be walking in a room or or going into an, a, an office where someone wants to talk bad about them. And you can say, well, let me tell you my story about them. Yeah. I think what you have to do at that point is you have to realize I don't need to pour salt in the wounds. I never do that. I, I'm like, God bless them. I, you know, they're deep down inside, they're good people. And I always try to build it up the way. Now, if I run to them in the grocery store, I will always approach them, even though they might not want to talk to me. Um, but one thing that we learned about Joseph, he could have buried him. He could have made him starved. Yeah. And, and in the world that we live in, he had every right to do it because of what they put him There's through. not a lot of people who would have argued 
Right. That he didn't have justification to pun- to punish them. He could have justified it as a right thing to do because this is how they treated right. me. Yeah. And w- I think the ho- the lesson to be learned on that is to take the step higher of, of those people that do you wrong. Don't get on the same level that they're at. Um, and if you get an opportunity to do good for them, do good for them. Yeah. Um, moving forward. Yeah. Very good. Well, with that, um, again, the challenge and what we want you guys to think about is what kind of adversity are you facing that's the result of something out of your control? Right. You know, and then look at how that can provide opportunities to further your vision, whether it furthers your vision directly or it furthers your ability to handle adversity. Right. Because like sometimes things that they don't directly affect the vision, but they can directly affect you as an individual. And then as you chase that vision, those things sharpen you, Correct. right? And then your vision becomes more clearly focused and you can chase it more. Great leadership will always rise in the midst of adversity. And you will learn something as a leader when you step into that role. Right. Leaders always, I've, I've said it before, you know, characters like a sponge. You don't always know what's inside until the pressure squeezes it out. Right. And adversity is something that will squeeze whatever's in a leader to the surface. And if it's vision, if it's clarity, if it's focus, then that pressure brings it to the surface. Yes. The, the, you know, leaders almost thrive in adversity because that's just where it lives. Right. You know, that's just where the stuff lives. And I use the example of, I can't get over it. You know, like gold can't be gold without heat without purification and that purification is painful and you know um we're gonna work on in a few i don't know maybe a couple months maybe into the fall and winter when things loosen up but we're gonna develop that teddy bear story if you've seen the the teddy bear video that we've made and put on safehouserisd.com um what we want to do is excuse me we want to create another one that tells the teddy bear side of the Correct. story, which is the second half of the book. Right. And if you notice up here, we've got some different things and we're going to start kind of letting you in on some little tricks here. And we can do that now, or we can do that next week. But this, this teddy bear is something that we give to every kid that comes into the program, not this particular one, but they get a teddy bear and they watch the teddy bear story at some point, or they hear the teddy bear story. All of our staff that get trained, see the teddy bear story. And because the kids are the teddy bear, you right, know, and if right. you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. If not, please go watch it. Um, but the teddy bear was lost and forgotten. It was picked up. And then a woman at the church fixed it. it can, and she took all the stuffing out. She cleaned it. If that teddy bear could talk, right, it would have no idea that it was being renewed, that it was being redeemed. It would just see the adversity. It would just be tortured, right? Right. And so what we're going to do is we're going to develop a short film that really tells that story from the perspective of the teddy bear. Because when you're faced with adversity, you could be going, why is this happening to me? Right. When the whole time it's refining you to the best version of yourself. Right. And the, and I, you talk about gold being purified through fire. Diamonds are made from dirty rocks, right? Buried deep in the earth. And the only way they become priceless is through immense intense incredible pressure pressure. right you cannot be the fullest version of yourself without experiencing intense pressure and adversity and that and so it's almost if you can get to this place in your head and in your heart you'll almost 
and I don't mean this in a, <laughs> in like a twisted way, but you'll welcome adversity because then you realize that there's more growth to happen and you'll chase it. You, and that's the risk that we talked about at the beginning is that you don't want to go chasing adversity. No, you don't want to go running out into don't traffic. Cre- you right? don't need to create it for yourself. It'll be there. It's going to you get enough adversity right. that's going to happen at you a time. You don't need to create it. But the opportunity, and I love this so much because there's not a lot of like, I, there's, this doesn't get talked about a ton, you know, that adversity has a benefit. We always try to avoid it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to avoid it. I'm not saying that we should bring it on ourselves. But when we're faced with it in the natural course of our vision chasing, we have to stop trying to say, how do I, how do I get around it? And instead go, how do I batten down the hatches and get through it? Right. Because what's going to happen? Because the teddy bear would have never, if it could talk and it could walk and it could tell you its story, it's better off now than when you found it next to the mailbox. Right. But if you had to say, this is what you have to go through to get there, it may go, nah, I'm good. I'm good. This, I'm a little cold. I got some scars. I'll be okay. I'll figure it out. But it had to go through the adversity in order to become what it is. And I'm talking, this teddy bear is alive to me at this point because right. it's just part of what we do. Right. But that's true of me. You know, like I told you about the voicemail that I got that wasn't, I wasn't supposed to get, like, I can't imagine, you know, they were talking about me behind right. my back to right. people. What? I don't want to do that. Right. But I looked at it and I said, I honestly asked the question, is she right? And then I realized she wasn't. And I said, okay, check, let's move forward. Right. right. And so that, that, that's what we want to challenge you guys with today is what kind of adversity are you facing? Last week, we asked about how you can see adversity as an opportunity. This week, we're asking, what kind of adversity are you facing that's the result of other people's choices? And then how can you navigate that through that to become a purer, you know, more priceless version of yourself, so to speak, right, using right. the gold and the diamond thing? So with that, Instagram, Facebook, um, <laughs> Twitter, Safehouse RSD is what you're looking for. SafehouserSD.com. Feedback. Give us some feedback. Click yeah. the share button. We put yeah. the link up to the YouTube every Monday. It's on SoundCloud. It's on iTunes. It's on Spotify. If you're on any of those, copy a link, paste it to your page, share the link when you see it, whatever it looks like. Bob Denon on Facebook, Andy Denon on Facebook. We'd love to talk to you. I'm getting, we're getting good feedback. People yep. are listening. Thank yep. you so much. Um, Brandon, another good one. Appreciate you taking some time today, man. Absolutely. We'll talk to you. We got more videos to produce when we're done here and we'll head back to the office. So I'll see you in like eight seconds. Yeah, we'll get working on on this uh, episode and make sure it gets out by Monday. Very good. Sounds good. And then dad, again, thanks. No problem, man. Sorry for the interruption. That's all right. Everybody, we'll see you next week. Thanks again. Take care. Bye.